Well, Happy New Year. Ooh, that was going to be a long morning. Uh, my name is Nate. Uh, if we don't know each other, we'd love to meet you at some point. Um, typically what I do this time of year is I will go to a coffee shop and just spend some time thinking and planning and dreaming about what I want the year to look like. And obviously that's a little bit harder this year. Uh, but one of the things that I, uh, that I, one of the reasons I love to do that is because I like being able to look back at places that I've been and think, I remember when I was, when I was planning that or when I was thinking about that or when I was praying about that. And man, now look what God has done. Like I can remember um, in 2016, the end of 2016, being at Top Pot in the landing because I lived in the landing at the time and I walked down to Top Pot and I can remember some of the things that I was praying that God would do in my life in 2017. And it's just weird to look back on that now. I can remember sitting outside of Storyville in Queen Anne with Courtney and I as we were preparing for marriage and what that was going to look like. I can remember doing that in Lexington and St. Louis. Everywhere I've lived, I've kind of done that. And something that I've learned about myself, uh, and maybe you can relate to this, uh, the more time that I've spent uh, thinking about my year, the more that I've realized I tend to get more excited about what I'm going to accomplish or what God might do through me then I get about what God might want to do in me or what I might have to like work on in here. Can you relate to that at all? Like you've got these plans, you've got some things you would love to accomplish. You've got some, some ideas of what the year could look like that you're excited about. And maybe you even feel like, man, it would be great if God used me to do this thing. But it's not as fun to think about what God might need to do in you. Uh, last year, in 2020, um, in January, I decided that my word for the year was going to be patience. Patience. And I had no idea how miserable of a word that would be to choose for, for the year 2020. Um, I uh, Literally, the very first day I was coming back from, I was at that coffee shop in St. Louis. I'm driving home. And where we lived, we had a two-car carport. Okay. And I have just finished praying and I'm like, oh God, okay. Like this is the year where I am going to focus on what you want to do in me. And I want to be more patient. All right. So I've just had this moment with the Lord and I pull up and Courtney is parked in the middle of this two car carport. And so I was like, thank you, Lord. So I have to go move her car, get mine in. Um, And that was a great foreshadowing of what 2020 was going to be right? But here's the deal. If you can relate to that feeling of, you, you know, I'd love to accomplish something, but I don't really, it's going to be annoying if I have to like work on anything in my life. If you can relate to that, here's what you need to know. That just as much as God wants to do something through you, he wants to do something in you. And part of preparing for what God wants to do through you is you allowing him to work in you. And that's what this series is about. We're in this little mini series called Into the Wild. And the reason is because we're going through the book of Luke and we'll be in Luke until we get to like June or something. So we're in Luke for a long, long time. But uh, we're breaking it up into multiple series. And as I was mapping out the series, I noticed that it's interesting In Luke chapter three and Luke chapter four, the action moves 
out of the city and into the wild, into the wilderness. And last week, if you watched online, Luke chapter three, uh, John the Baptist invites Israel. He calls Israel out to the wilderness and that's the place where they examined their lives and repented of their sins. And we encouraged you last week to take some time to step away from the normal routine and to examine what might need to change in you moving into 2021. And then today we're going to see how Jesus also goes into the wilderness before he starts his ministry. And so today we're just going to ask two simple questions. First, why does Jesus go into the wilderness? And second, what can we learn from what Jesus did in the wilderness? Why does Jesus go out there? What can we learn from what he did while he was out there? That's what we're going to see today in Luke chapter four. Here's why it's so important that we look at this. Because I believe that God does have a calling for you. He has a calling on your life that he wants you to walk into. And maybe you don't even realize that about yourself, but God wants to work in you so that you become a person of character and conviction. And God wants to work through you so that you make a difference in the world and you leave a mark on people's lives. He wants to work in you and through you to do that. But here's the deal. Part of stepping into the calling that God has on your life requires stepping into the wild. It requires stepping into an area where God can work in you to prepare you for what he has for you. And that's what we're going to see today in Luke chapter four. So uh, the way this is going to work is we've got the two questions. We're going to look at the first two verses. That's going to give us kind of the setting. We'll talk about that. And then we'll look at the rest of the text. Sound good? So Luke chapter four. Let's jump in. Then Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. So it says that Jesus left the Jordan, and that's referring to in chapter 3 when he got baptized. So Jesus went and he got baptized and his baptism was significant because the baptism was supposed to be for the forgiveness of sins. That's why everybody else was there to get baptized, but Jesus didn't have any sins to be forgiven for. So why was he there getting baptized? And the reason is because Jesus was getting into the waters to identify with sinners. He was identifying with the people that he came to save. He's not just a savior who's above us, but he's a savior who wants to identify with us by getting into the water with us. And when that happened, there's this voice from heaven that happened uh, that came and it said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit came on to Jesus in this tangible, like physical way. And so Jesus Here in verse four, or in chapter four, it says he was full of the Holy Spirit because that happened at his baptism. And now he's going into the wilderness. So that's our first question. Why is Jesus going into the wilderness? Nobody else is out there. Didn't he come to do ministry? Why is he going into the wilderness? I think there are two reasons. The first 
is this was just Jesus's normal custom. It was his normal habit in life to withdraw, to retreat from the normal flow of life and to go to deserted places where he could be alone and where he could be with his heavenly father. So he's retreating to pray and to seek God. And he does that throughout the gospels. Listen to just a few of these examples. Mark chapter one, verse 35. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. Luke chapter four, verse 42. When it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place, but the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. Luke chapter five, verse 16. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. And then this is interesting. The night that Jesus is betrayed, the day before that he goes to the cross and is crucified, how does he spend his time? In prayer. Look at Luke chapter 22, verse 41. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and began to pray. So this was Jesus's normal habit in life, to withdraw, to retreat from the normal flow of life in order to intentionally seek his father. And not only was he praying when he did this, but at times he was also fasting. And that's what he's doing here in Luke chapter four. To fast is just... um, to go without food as a reminder that we need God more than food. So if you go for a length of time without food, you start to get hungry, just like Jesus does. And that hunger is a cue for your body that, you know what, just like food is what I need to keep my body alive, I need God more. And so fasting is just, It's a discipline that leads to fervent dependence on God. And so Jesus is going into the wilderness to seek God. That's the first reason. But there's more going on here. So Jesus always did that. But there's more going on here in Luke chapter four. And there's a couple clues that let us know that Jesus is not just going into the wilderness to seek God and be an example for us. Here's the first clue. It says that he was led by the spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now that's weird in and of itself, but it's also interesting because think about the Lord's prayer for just a minute. What does the Lord's prayer say? It says, We're asking God, and Jesus is the one who taught us to pray this way. We're asking God, lead us not into temptation, right? And yet here the spirit of God is leading Jesus into temptation. Why is he doing that? Now, God is not gonna be the one who's tempting him. That's not what I'm saying. But the spirit is leading him into the place of being tempted by the devil. Isn't that interesting? And then the second clue here that something else is going on is that he's out there for 40 days. Why 40? Why not 30? Why not 50? Why 40? 
Because 40 corresponds to the number of years that the Israelites were in the wilderness. So Jesus is going into the wilderness for 40 days. The Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years. And while the Israelites were in the wilderness, what were they doing? You can read about this in Numbers and Deuteronomy. Earlier in 2020, as a church, we went through those books. So maybe you remember. But the bottom line is they were not obeying God. They were questioning him and complaining about him and threatening Moses. And it was miserable. That's part of the reason they had to stay out there for 40 years. Now Jesus is going into the wilderness for 40 days. Why? Here's what Jesus is doing in the wilderness. He's going to become our redeemer and our mediator. He's going into the wilderness to become our redeemer and our mediator. Here's what I mean. Think about the story of the Bible for just a minute. In the beginning, what happens? God makes mankind. It's all good. He puts mankind in a garden. And what do we do? We listen to the serpent, the devil, instead of listening to God. We obey the serpent, the devil, rather than obeying God. We fall into temptation. Now, Jesus is going not into a garden, but into a much more difficult place where he's hungry in order to redeem humanity. Jesus is going to do what humans should have done all along. Jesus is going to do what you should do all along so that he can redeem you. He's also going to redeem Israel's story. Israel was out in the wilderness for 40 years, disobeying God, giving into temptation, following after all kinds of terrible practices. Jesus is going to go into the wilderness and remain faithful to God. Jesus is the true human who does what humans are supposed to do. And Jesus is the true Israelite who does what Israelites are supposed to do. So he's going out there to redeem us. But he's also going out there to be our mediator. What do I mean by that? Well, it's interesting when you read the book of Deuteronomy, which Jesus is about to quote a bunch of times, which is why we keep referencing it. In Deuteronomy, when the people were, obeying, were disobeying God and wandering in the wilderness and giving in to temptation, Moses fasted for 40 days and interceded for them. So there was this sinful group of people and Moses stepped in and spoke to God on their behalf. Now Jesus is going out to the wilderness to fast for 40 days and step in as a better mediator, a greater mediator than Moses. That's what Jesus is doing in the wilderness. So this is why in Hebrews chapter four, the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter four, verse 14, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, 
let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. So here's the deal. Why does Jesus go out to the wilderness? Two reasons. First, he's going out there to seek God intentionally in prayer. And we can learn from that. But second, Jesus is going into the wilderness to be our redeemer and our mediator. And here's why this is such good news for you. The lesson of Luke chapter four is not just, listen, whenever you face temptation, here are some principles that you can learn and you can be like Jesus and overcome temptation too and look to Jesus as your example. That's all true. And that's what we're gonna spend the rest of the message talking about. But that's not all the story. This is not just an example for you to learn from. It's a victory for you to rest in. There will be times when you fall into temptation, where you say no to the Lord and you say yes to the devil. That will happen. But the hope for you is not that you would get it together enough so that you can resist temptation and be acceptable to God. The hope for you is that there is a redeemer and a mediator who went into the wilderness and faced temptation for you. And he is the one that you can trust in. He is the one who will represent you to God. He is the one who will stand in the gap before you, a sinner and a holy God. Because he doesn't just stop in the wilderness. He resists in the wilderness and then he goes to a cross and he dies in the place of sinners. And when he was tempted to say no to the cross and yes to deliverance from the cross, he chose to endure death and beat it so that he could be the redeemer and mediator for you. And he is starting that work here by going into the wilderness. So this is not just a lesson to learn from, it's a victory over the devil to rest in. So why does Jesus go into the wilderness? First, to seek God in prayer. Second, to become our redeemer and our mediator. Here's a second question that we're gonna consider today. What can we learn from what Jesus does in the wild? Let's look at what happens. Verse three, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Keep in mind, he's hungry. So the devil is getting him where it hurts. Verse four, but Jesus answered him, it is written, man must not live on bread alone. So he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. And he says, listen, there is a purpose to me going without food. There is a purpose to my fast. And so he doesn't fall into the temptation. Here's the second test the devil throws at him. Verse five. So he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. Now, does Jesus deserve to have all the kingdoms of the earth, their glory and their splendor? Absolutely, but not like this. And so Jesus says, verse eight, Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
Again, he quotes from Deuteronomy. Verse nine, here's the third test. So he took him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. And now the devil tries to use Jesus's tactic against Jesus. Verse 10, for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you. And they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The devil says, doesn't the Old Testament say that he'll send his angels concerning you, that he'll protect you from, from hitting your foot against a stone? So why don't you throw yourself off and don't you believe God's word? And even today, one of the devil's primary tactics is to twist God's word to make it mean something different than it means. But Jesus, way smarter than the devil. And so in verse 12, Jesus answered him, it is said, do not test the Lord your God. So there is a greater principle here that doesn't apply to this, he says. Verse 13, after the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. And then listen to verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit and news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues, being praised by everyone. Now here's what's so significant. Jesus goes into Galilee to start his ministry. He's going to start teaching and preaching. He's going to start healing and doing all these wondrous signs. Huge crowds are going to start following him. But before he went into Galilee to start his ministry, he went into the wilderness to be filled by the spirit, to have the the power of the spirit in him for his ministry. Think about that. Jesus goes into the wild so he could live in the power of the spirit and accomplish the ministry God was giving him. And if that's true for Jesus, then it's got to be true for us as well. God has a ministry he wants to do through you. But part of you preparing to do the ministry God has for you is you stepping into the wild, you retreating from the normal flow of life so that you can be filled by the power of the spirit. If you want to walk in God's calling for your life, you need the power of God. You need the spirit of God to empower you for that ministry. This is also what Jesus taught his disciples. After he goes to the cross and dies in the place of sinners so that sinners can be forgiven. And after he's raised from the dead by the power of the spirit, He's huddled up with his disciples just before he ascends to heaven. And here's what he tells them. Acts chapter one, verse four. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. 
You see how Jesus is about to send the disciples out to start their ministry. And he says, before you go, wait until you have the the Holy Spirit's power. And look at what he says in verse eight. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Before you go out to the earth, wait until you have the power of the Spirit. So before Jesus starts his ministry, he goes and gets filled up by the Holy Spirit. And then before he sends the disciples out to do their ministry, he tells them to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we need the power of the Spirit as well. Now, the difference for us and the original disciples that he told us to is the Holy Spirit has come now. And so when you become a Christian, when you place your faith in Jesus, when you believe the gospel message, the good news about his death and resurrection, and you believe that the only way for you to be saved is to have faith in him, when you believe that, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit on the spot. The Holy Spirit comes to live in you and you begin to live in Christ. And there's this mystical union that happens between you and Christ because of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 says that God has given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment. It's like, hey, more redemption's coming. Someday you will be glorified just like Jesus when he was raised from the dead. That's gonna be your story if you belong to Jesus. But in the meantime, here's my Holy Spirit. It's a down payment to make sure you know I'm going to keep my promise. In John chapter 14 through 16, Jesus says, hey, it's actually better that I leave the earth because then the Holy Spirit will come to you. And we get to walk in that reality. But here's the problem is even though we have the Holy Spirit, many times we're not walking in the power of the Spirit. Many times we're not walking with the Spirit. So even though we have the Holy Spirit, The New Testament still commands us to keep in step with the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit. How do we do that? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? How do we go about getting the Holy Spirit's power? How does he empower us? It's funny, uh, D.L. Moody um, famous evangelist in the 1800s, but he was talking about this one time and somebody asked him, if we already have the Holy Spirit, why do we need to be filled with the Spirit? And he said, because I leak. Because I leak. Isn't that true? We need to continually be filled with the Spirit because we leak. We've got holes that our flesh has made. And so we constantly need to be seeking to walk by the Spirit. What does that look like? How do we go about doing that? Well, that's where I think we can learn from Jesus. So here's what I want to do. As we wrap up, I just want to give you four basic things that we see Jesus do in Luke chapter four that led to him being filled with the power of the Spirit. And these four things, when I tell you what they are, if you've been around church for any length of time, you're going to be like, that's it. That's the most boring stuff in the world. That's what everybody talks about. (laughs) And I get that. But here's the deal. For thousands of years, 
Christians have been practicing these disciplines in order to walk by the power of the Spirit. And maybe if these things seem boring to you, it's just because you haven't tasted. You haven't tasted the richness of what it looks like to live a life with these things. After the first service, I was talking to Barry Brendan out in the hallway. And he was like, I just got so excited thinking about how creative I could get with my time to do some of these things. And I'm thinking, dude, you've been doing this for years. Like, you know the Bible better than anybody in this building probably. And you're still excited to get creative with how you do some of these disciplines? Do you know why? Because he's tasted and seen that the Lord is good. He's seen that there actually is power from the Holy Spirit to be had after walking in these disciplines. And so keep that in mind if you're tempted to to feel like these things are boring, all right? Here's the first one. There are four words. I tried to make an acronym, but... I couldn't come up with one. So you can work on that and let me know a better acronym and we'll go from there. Here's the first, first discipline. Retreat. Retreat. Here's what I mean by that. When we talk about stepping into the wild, we're not speaking literally, all right? You don't have to literally go off into the wilderness somewhere in order to seek God every time. Sometimes maybe that's helpful. But when we talk about stepping into the wild, what we're talking about is practicing Jesus's his regular rhythm of retreat. He withdrew from his normal flow of life. He withdrew from the people that he was with. Even at times when it was just a stone's throw away, he was retreating from people so that he could be alone with God. And the same is true for you. If you want to experience the power of walking with God, the power of the spirit, then you've got to make time to retreat. Practicing a rhythm of retreat in your life, I think means at least two things. It means you've got to have a time and a place where you're going to do this. A time and a place. Uh, By time, it's got to be a time where you're alert, where you're able to think and be at your best. Um, A lot of people do it early in the morning. You saw that was Jesus's practice in Mark chapter one. Very early in the morning, he went out and withdrew. Maybe you're not a morning person. That was me for a long time. Until I had a kid, I hated mornings. And so that was not a good time for me. But now I'm like, I'm up anyway. Might as well start my day off with the Lord. All right, so uh, maybe morning is a good time for you. Maybe morning is a terrible time for you. But you, whatever time it is, you wanna make sure it's a time where you can actually be fully present, all right? Doing it in bed right before you go to sleep, not going to work, all right? So you got to be able to be present. So pick a time that's going to work for you. Second, you got to have a place. You got to know where you're going to retreat to. And here's why this one's important. Because if you don't have a time and a place, especially a place, what'll happen is you'll get decision paralysis on the spot. You're like, should I sit here? ah, there's that thing over there. Oh, uh, it'll be better over here. Or, oh, well, over here. Oh, and you'll, you'll just be thinking about stuff other than just, so go ahead and decide ahead of time where you're gonna do it. And it needs to be a place that's practical and ordinary that you're actually gonna be able to get to regularly, all right? 
you might have some beautiful place that's only 30 minutes from your house. And that's amazing. And you just connect with God there. And that's awesome. But here's the problem. That place is too far for it to be a regular rhythm in your life. It's just got to be a place that you can get to easily. A room in your house, a seat in your house. Maybe it's in your car before work. Maybe it's a stairwell at your job. I don't know. For me in college, it was the back cubicle of the library. There was just this one area that nobody ever went. I have no idea why nobody was ever there, but they weren't. And so it was just me and the Lord down there. You got to find a time and a place where you can retreat. So that's the first thing. It's retreat. Here's the second one. I just wrote Bible. Bible. You've got to soak your mind into God's word. Jesus is in the wilderness and he's quoting Deuteronomy 6 through 9. Why is he doing that? Why is he able to quote that stuff in the moment of temptation? Because he was thinking about it. He was meditating on it. To meditate literally just means to chew on. It's to to get it in you and just chew on it. To think deeply about it. So Bible reading, getting the Bible in your heart, in your mind, has to be one of the disciplines that we follow. Now, this is where questions start to pop up because, and I understand this, maybe you, like, you've heard that, you know that you're supposed to do that, but you just don't know what to do. Like, you don't know what to read or how to study the Bible. And that's something that is a lot of times more caught than taught. And so a great thing to do would just be to ask somebody, like, hey, could you help me with this? But I would suggest getting a Bible reading plan as step one. So just get a plan. Again, that way you're not on the, you know, the day of being like, okay, let's see, where should I read today? Uh, And you're just flipping around because that's not going to be, again, decision paralysis is going to sink in and you're not going to know what to do. So I suggest pick a plan. If you need help picking a plan, just Google Bible reading plans 2021, right? And one of the first things that's going to pop up is Ligonier Ministries, Ligonier Ministries, L-I-G-O-N, I-E-R ministries. And that's, they've got a helpful uh, page with a bunch of different plans that you could pick from with PDFs that you could print off if you're a check person. I suggest that, super helpful. I think we're also gonna make some of this stuff available for you this week, but I would start there. My suggestion, and this is just my opinion, okay? Is you're better off with a plan that's gonna take you through books of the Bible So even if you're just like, right now I'm going to be in Philippians, all right? Um, To me, that's a more helpful way to learn to read the Bible than if you're in a plan where you're like jumping around every day. So it's like the seven days with, you know, without fear plan. That can be really helpful. If you want to do that, that's great. The problem is sometimes with those plans, you're just like in a different place in the scripture every day. You're in Luke and then, you know, James and then, you know, some other place in the Old Testament. And to me, that just gets confusing if you're trying to get the Bible in your heart. So I would suggest a plan where you're just going to be reading through a book of the Bible. Um, So that's the first, you got to get a plan. If you want the Bible to get into your heart, maybe you also need help knowing like, okay, what do I do after I read? And here's a little acronym that will help you with this. MAPS, 
M-A-P-S, maps. So first you're going to meditate or memorize something. If memorization is hard for you, just stick to the meditation part, okay? Um, You're going to meditate on what you read. Think about it. What does this mean? What is this saying? What happens? Think about it. Then you're going to move to applying it. So meditate, apply. What does apply mean? It means you start to think about in light of what I've read and in light of what I'm thinking about now as a result of this, how does this relate to my life? How should this inform the way that I approach this meeting that I have coming up later today or this project that I'm working on or this conversation I need to have with my son or my daughter? How does this inform the way that I should approach my life? That's apply. Next is prayer. One of the best ways to improve your prayer life is to start learning how to pray the Bible. Uh, We're going to talk about a step on how to do this in the next uh, thing. But um, so we'll talk about that. There's also a great book by a man named Don Whitney called Praying the Bible. You could just go get, it's very short, um, get that off Amazon. And that would be a huge blessing to you as well. So that's the P is pray in light of what you've studied in the scripture. And then the S is share share. And that is just, you are going to talk about what you've been thinking from your time in the word with someone. This can be anybody, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse. It could be just a friend. It could be a mentor, anybody. It doesn't matter. I'm still trying to figure out who I want this intentional person to be in my life for 2021. So it can, it can be anybody. Um, but that's a great way to help get the Bible into your life because it's not just meant to be out here. It's meant to be to come out of you, speaking about the Bible, sharing the Bible, what you're learning with somebody is a huge key in that. Okay, here's the third thing. So retreat, Bible. Here's the third is prayer. Prayer. Um, for me, praying was one of the hardest things. It felt so boring and it felt like I'm just saying the same old things about the same old things and nothing's happening for a long time until I was introduced to this idea of praying the Bible. And this has been the single greatest uh, factor in me improving my prayer life is learning how to pray the Bible. To pray the Bible, it just simply means that you're gonna take what you read and you're going to, to pray it back to the Lord. The things that the Bible brings to mind as you read, you offer those as a prayer to the Lord. We're going to practice that at the very end of the sermon. I'm going to lead you in a prayer that's based on Luke chapter four to give an example of what that looks like. So that's uh, what I would suggest. The best place to start praying the Bible is the Psalms. Um, And so I would suggest starting there. You just put it in your own words, give it back to God. If you need an acronym to help you with prayer, here's one for you. Um, Pray. It's pretty simple. Praise, that is, you're just telling God what you love about him, how great he is. R, repent. That is, God, in light of how great you are, here's where I fall short. Here's where I'm not like you and where I need to be more like you. That's what repentance is. Repentance is just a change of mind. So you're saying, God, you are great. That's praise. And then repentance is, and God, I've been thinking that this way in my life is best but I need to change that and think more like you about this. That's repentance. It's confessing your sins. It's recognizing areas where you need to change. And the good news is we can repent because of what Jesus has done for us. He is our redeemer and our mediator. 
A is ask. This is just offering requests to God, saying, God, here's what I would love for you to do in my life. Here's what I would like to see happen. And you can ask him for big things. He wants that. And then Y is yield. That means you surrender your will to his will. So in the same way that Jesus, the night before he goes to the cross, he's like, God, if it's possible for this cup to pass for me, let's do that plan. But yet not what I will, but what you will be done. And so it's amazing as you begin to spend time in the word and pray the Bible, your prayers actually will get cleaned up and become more. uh, You'll start to pray according to God's will more. But then even when you've still got things in your heart that you're praying for that God is saying no to, slowly your heart begins to yield to the Father's will. You've experienced that before if you've spent time with the Lord. Here's the last thing. So retreat, Bible, prayer. Here's number four, is fasting. Fasting. Now, this is not something that I have done very much of. Just a couple times in my life have I fasted. Um, Fasting is... One pastor described it as developing a holy hunger, a holy hunger. You're saying no to food so that you can say yes to pursuing God. So when you feel yourself get hungry, you remind yourself, I need to pray. I need to seek the Lord. I want him more than I want this other thing. Um, So it's giving up something to more intentionally focused on God and prayer. Uh, That can be... I guess technically anything, so you can fast from social media or from Facebook or, you know, whatever. Um, But um, typically it's food that we're fasting from. That's something that I'm trying to figure out. How could I work that into my normal routine as well, just as as a way of more intentionally seeking God? Maybe that's something that the Holy Spirit would lead you to consider doing as well as we move into 2021. But here's the deal. God wants to work through you and in you. He has a calling on your life that he wants you to step into. But in order for you to step into that, you've got to step into the wild. You've got to be filled by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if what you're taking away from that last little section about all these things you've got to do is just guilt, like, yeah, you're right. I haven't been reading my Bible enough. I haven't been praying enough. I don't like that stuff. If that's what you're feeling, you need, to, you need to hear this. We don't pray and read the Bible so that God loves us more. God already loves you because he has sent his son, Jesus. And God accepts you not based on whether or not you read your Bible and pray and fast and resist temptation, but he loves you because Jesus did. And he accepts you based on the fact that Jesus did that. So this is not about you making God happy or making God love you more. That's not the point of this. this the point of this is for you to learn to enjoy God, for you to learn the power of living in the spirit. That's the point of these disciplines. That's the point of these habits. So how might God be leading you to step into the wild to learn how to do that stuff more in 2021? To close, like I said, I just want to lead you in a prayer based on Luke chapter four. And so I'm going to be praying this for you 
you can pray with me. And then there are two different spots in this prayer where you can, I'm going to give you something specifically to pray for for yourself. Okay. So right now, if you would get in a posture of prayer, however that looks best for you, if that's just sitting and leaning forward for you, if that's getting on your knees and putting your elbow in the chairs, if that's standing up somewhere in the room, you get in a posture of prayer. And let's go to God. Father, I thank you for sending your son, Jesus, and filling him with your spirit. We praise you for being a faithful God who loves us. Even when we rebelled against you and gave into temptation, you sent your son to save us. And we praise you for that. We praise you for encouraging and strengthening Jesus when he was in the wilderness. Thank you for empowering him to resist temptation and become our high priest. It's in his name and his victory that we approach you right now. We cannot come to you based on our own merits or our own accomplishments, but based solely on those of Jesus. We praise you for sending him to us. Lord, we confess that we have not always resisted temptation as we should. We have sins we've committed intentionally and unintentionally. Please forgive us for those things. Forgive us based on the work of Jesus on the cross. Would you take time where you are right now and just confess what sins need to be confessed to the Lord in your life? Lord, we appeal to you now as your children, just as our older brother Jesus was filled with your Holy Spirit and resisted the devil's temptations. Would you fill us with your spirit and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? Would you help us to, to believe that we do not live on bread alone? Would you grow an appetite in our hearts for your word? Would you protect us against exalting ourselves? Would we trust in your timing for our lives? Would you give us a right understanding of your word and guard us against making it say something that we want to hear? God, we pray this not only for ourselves, but also for our kids, our neighbors, our loved ones, our parents. God, would you give us opportunities to share the good news of Jesus with people who don't know him? Would we be your witnesses? And would you give us power from your spirit to not be afraid to do so? God, just as Jesus was hungry, so we also have burdens in our lives. Would you meet our needs? and carry our burdens. Spend some time where you are telling God what's on your mind and heart as you move into this year and what do you want him to do for you?
Father, you've heard the requests of our hearts. You know our needs more than we do. We ask that you would say yes to our requests. And yet, God, we ask that you do your will and not ours. Help us to mean that joyfully. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.